up if I unmute it. Yeah? No? Maybe not? One, two. Oh, yeah, now we got it. You guys can hear me okay? Excellent. It's working the way I hoped it would. That's great. I'll remember next time. Uh, don't hit the button that makes it orange. Thanks, dude. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, it's great to be together. Um, let's pray before we come to our sermon this morning from Ecclesiastes 10 uh, from the passage we just heard read to us. Lord, we pray that you would help us now as we calm our minds, as we hear from your word, as we chew on what it has to say to us, and as we consider what it is that you've written through the preacher to us as your people. God, we pray that you would give us wisdom and that this wisdom would result in real life transformation. And so, God, I pray that you would use my words to encourage these saints, uh, that you would help us to uh, pursue you and to live in holiness as the world watches us. May they see the glory of Christ our King displayed in and through us. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. It, it, uh, let me ask you this. If you were to give yourself any advice, uh, say you could go back and you could talk to your 16 or 18-year-old self, what kind of advice would you give yourself? Anybody want to share something? What, what, what would you share with your 18-year-old or 16-year-old self? What comes to your mind? Don't do it. <laughs> All right, man, I love you. <laughs> don't do it. All right. I don't know what that is, Art, but we're praying for you. <laughs> All right, any, any other advice? Anybody want to try to top that? Don't do it. If you were to give yourself advice, what's that? Learn from others' mistakes. Ooh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Well, let's hear one more. If you would give yourself advice, so you're, say you're, you're talking back to the, your 18-year-old self, what would you say? Yeah, maybe some of you are like, I don't even know what I would say. Right? Uh, the point I of asking that question is that, you know, if we really took the time and we considered what kind of advice we would give to younger people or our younger selves, knowing what we know now, we could probably come up with something. Um, when, I sat, uh, when I get to sit down with pastors who have been in ministry for quite some time, I often ask them this kind of question. What kind of advice would you give a young pastor who's just entering into ministry? And some of the things that I've heard throughout the years have been really incredibly encouraging. Um, uh, there was one time that I can come up with an idea of talking to an older pastor where he just gave me really powerful advice. Now, let me tell you this. This powerful advice was not a silver bullet to all of the issues that would be in ministry. In fact, what he told me wasn't necessarily flashy or earth-shattering, but it was indeed profound. And this is what he said to me. He said, spend time with your people. Spend time with your people. Work really hard at preaching good sermons. And when you can't do it, pray. Those were three of the best pieces of advice that I ever got in pastoral ministry. Spend time with people. Work really hard at preaching good sermons. And pray when you don't know what else to do. You know, when we think of the advice that we could give to each other, or even if we had the ability to take the perspective of somebody who is a young, an older person looking back on their younger selves, 
really what we're experiencing here is what the preacher is coming to at the end of his letter here in Ecclesiastes. This is an, an older man who's looking back on his experience of life and saying, here is everything that I have learned. And he's trying to leave us with this grand finale right before the epilogue of uh, Ecclesiastes in chapter 12, verses 9 through 14. Uh, there are essentially three parts that we're going to see over the next few weeks. Today, we're going to focus in on the preacher's words of how to live with risk, how to live boldly but wisely. Next week, we're going to see how the preacher calls us to rejoice in the gifts that God has given to us in our lives. And then finally, we'll conclude our time in Ecclesiastes by remembering the Lord God and what it is that he has done for us. Uh, the, the book of Ecclesiastes has been to us a way where we can look at life backwards from the way that the world describes life. We, we often think of living life in the perspective of looking forward to all that could be done. Right? We think of even maybe the next week. How many of you have things that are going on this week? I, many of you have things going on today, don't you? Like somebody, somebody's getting married, right? <laughs> and we've got like, hmm, what's it, 10 o'clock? So that'd be 12. So we've got like six hours before you get married, man, right? So there's lots of stuff that we could be thinking about that's coming up in our immediate time frame and even what's going on in the next week, month, year, five years, and ten years. So we often think of the potential of what could be. But here's the reality in the what could be. We don't know how things work out. But when we look back on life, we can say, even despite all of the uncertainty of life, there are things that we can certainly hold on to and find hope and encouragement in. And so the preacher is calling us here in Ecclesiastes 10 and 11 to take the risk of living life backwards. Now, this is not a risk which we should take flippantly. This is not to say, live however you want and who cares about the consequences. Rather, this is the call from the preacher to live in a way that's backward from the way of the world. So how do we do this? Well, the first thing we learn here in Ecclesiastes 10, is that we are to serve the Lord with wisdom and boldness. Serve the Lord with wisdom and boldness. And now often people think of wisdom and boldness with almost paradoxical thoughts, right? It almost seems like wisdom can't be bold or bold can't be wise. But the preacher is actually showing us right here that there is a way for us to live where we are bold and wise. And so he starts this passage or this section of Ecclesiastes with a picture of two kings. So let's look again at Ecclesiastes 10, verses 16 through 20. Uh, we see in verse 16, it says, Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your prince's feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your prince's feast at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. Through, er, through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through in indolence, the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for the bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature will tell the matter. And so what we get to see in these two kings are two different portraits of what is wise and what is foolish. How we can live with wisdom and boldness, and how we can be foolishly bold, and not wise. Okay, so the first example we see is the foolish king. So verse 16 and verses 18 through 19 highlight that for us. The first thing the preacher does is he pronounces woe upon the land. He says, woe to you, O land. 
that is woe to all of you people that inhabit this place. And, and so the question for us is, why is he pronouncing woe? What's so wrong about this situation? Well, notice what the preacher tells us. It, there's a king who comes in to this place, and he feasts in the morning. Right? Now, you may be thinking, what's wrong with breakfast? Right? Th this is not an anti-breakfast message. <laughs> what this is is a message where there is a proper procedure for things. The, the prince's feast in the morning don't represent to us like the breakfast meal. What this represents to us is rather the picture of somebody throwing a giant party in celebration and not giving a care or concern of what's happening in the day. A, a king who doesn't care about what's happening in his kingdom. The king is not driven to work for the kingdom or to take care of what is necessary first. So he says, woe to you, old land, for your princes feast in the morning. They don't care about what's happening. And then verse 18 and 19, we see some different characteristics of this king, like the characteristic of slothfulness or laziness. It says, through sloth, the roof sinks in. Right, so this is the idea of when you think of a king's duties and what a king is responsible for, if they're not actually doing what's necessary, that results in decay in the rest of society. Okay, so if we were to think of this like a physical structure, right? Right now, we are sitting inside four walls of a building that was built in 1882. Okay? Now, we have had a lot of work to do in this building, in this facility. Okay? Now, one of the really neat things is if you like to climb in attics and things, you get to go and see the beams that are here, and they're giant pieces of timber. Now, recently, in the last year, we had to address almost $50,000 worth of damage on the exterior of our building because there were spots where water was coming in and starting to pool up in different locations within the building. Okay? So what could have happened is if we didn't address this, we could have had the roof fall in on us. Okay? So what did we do? We had to address the issue. But if we weren't caring about the things that the Lord had placed in front of us, if we weren't taking care of what he had given to us, and we had just thought, oh, okay, hey, we're just going to go on and do other things, then we would have just let the roof be and let it take its course. But through laziness, what the preacher's telling us here is that laziness often results in a way where a structure falls in on itself. So in light of that, the opposite of this is that discipline is good. Okay? This is not to say that church facilities are the end-all, be-all. Right? It's not to say that this building is what particularly matters most here at Hebron Church of Hope, but it is to tell us that what God has given to us, we should take care of. And if we don't care about what he's given to us, then we will see decay set in. And he also gives us the picture in verse 19 where he shows that uh, the people of this day were just living in such a way where they did whatever they wanted whenever they wanted it. Bread is made for laughter. Wine gladdens everything. Money answers everything. So if there's a problem, how do we fix it? We eat more, we drink more, we spend more. Right? Now, that doesn't actually always work. Right? Eating more food makes you go from dad bod into chunky pants. Right? <laughs> the more food you eat, the, the less you care about uh, actually eating a healthy meal, and the more you just add on and on and on, you, you just get bigger and bigger and bigger. Or the more wine you drink, 
oh, if I just drink some wine, maybe it will get rid of all of the problems of my life and I can numb myself to the world that's around me. That leads to a problem. It leads to drunkenness. Or money being the answer for everything. Well, if I can't find happiness here, then I'll buy it. These are all things that the preacher through chapters 1 through 10 has condemned. That money promises more than it can deliver. Bread and food promises more than it can deliver. The pleasures of life, like the joy of wine, promises more than it can deliver. So the foolish king's ways are summarized in that. He pursues what makes him happy without realizing that at the pursuit of happiness, he's looking to something that can never, ever fully satisfy. So the preacher says, woe to this kind of leader. But there's another example, the example of the king who is wise and bold. Look at verse 17. Happy are you, O land. The contrast of this, woe to you, now happy to you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility. Okay, so the first thing, just note about this, the, the son of nobility. Now, both of these kings have come to power in some sort of way. But in this example, what the preacher's trying to tell us is that this is the son who has risen to the kingship and has been trained in the ways that are appropriate for the kingdom. So anybody like historical documentaries? Yeah, okay. I am always fascinated to like watch documentaries about the monarchy in Europe. Right? I don't know why. My British family tell me that it's because I'm an American that needs to repent of my ways. <laughs> and I told them I'm still mad about you taxing tea, but we can get over that. <laughs> but when we have these conversations, I always find it fascinating to me when I watch things about the monarchy because as as these families are being built up, children are being taught the ways of the kingdom very quickly. They, they have to be given this responsibility, trained up in the ways that they should go. And those that are heirs to the throne have a special significance to know the, inner, the, inning, the ins and outs of the working of the kingdom. So this son of nobility that's risen to the kingship is one who's been trained. And his training shows in that he feasts, but he feasts in the proper time. He doesn't just get up and party in the morning. He gets to work in the morning. And he does the work of the kingdom. And he, he feasts not for drunkenness, as the text says. He feasts in order to gain strength. Right, so there's the picture of live your, way, your life the way you want to, party and have a good time. Right, We get to see that in the world. Or we get to see the picture of live your, way, your life in a way that's, that's wise, do what's right, work hard, and gain strength. Now, there's not always a direct correlation to putting all these things in exact order, but we do get to see generally that these principles do carry out. In verse 20, the, the king who is a good example to these people is one who does not curse the king or does not curse uh, in his speech against those that are above him or those that are, are around him. Because the text says, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature will tell the matter. Uh, so there are wise ways to live and foolish ways to live. And we are tempted as people to live in a way where we enjoy lots of parties and avoid the work of life. And we're tempted to live in these things. We like to enjoy life and not work hard, right? I mean, if you were to ask people today, 
if you were to take like a census of all of the people that work in the world, I bet you that you could come away with this. People would like to earn more money, and they would like to work less hours. Isn't that the truth? Amen? <laughs> We'd like to earn more money and work less hours. Now, that's not to say that that's necessarily a bad thing, but what it is to sh is showing us is that we're tempted to live in a way where we have more freedom and less responsibility. But the reality is, is that with more freedom, there actually comes more responsibility. Uh, we can also gain a perspective here where we need to work hard and enjoy the gifts of the labor of life. There is pleasure in serving. There is pleasure in working. I find it very interesting as you think of retired folks. We got some retired folks in the room, right? Uh, I often find that women have an easier road into retirement than men do. That's because men are so used to this pattern of working. They do, they, they do this, right? This might like summarize most men. Work, 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 sleep, eat, work, 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 right? <laughs> okay? That might be the pattern of our lives, right? Women have this beautiful knowledge that the Lord <laughs> has given to them to know when to work and when to rest. Men like to work themselves into the ground for whatever reason that is. I think it's because of, of the consequences of the fall. We've worked ourselves into the ground. And so when we have this temptation, we can enjoy work, but then when we get to rest, we go, what am I supposed to do with myself? And the most common conversation I have with retired folks is, you know, I really looked forward to this because I thought that life would be a lot easier, and now I'm quite miserable because I don't know what to do with myself. It makes me go, I wonder why. And I think there's a direct correlation with this. It's because when we work so hard, we don't actually take moments of rest, we can't appreciate the rest that God gives to us. So those moments of retirement where people come to the stage where now it's like, I don't have to get up at this time, I don't have to be at this place, and maybe I have more freedom in my schedule, they struggle because maybe they didn't have a pattern of understanding when rest was good beforehand. So there's pleasure in working, and there's pleasure in rest. Both of these things could be to our advantage, but we have to keep them in balance. Another principle that I think we gain from this is that wise leaders know when not to speak. Let me say that again. Wise leaders know when not to speak. Verse 20, even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature will tell the matter. There are so many people who want to say so many things about everything. Right now, you could pull out your phone, okay? You were to pull it out. You would pull up social media. You're going to pull open the news tabs. You're going to find five different articles of opinions on a different, on one singular topic. And what's amazing to me, how many of you follow sports? I want to know how the sports and, like journalists do it, right? Because the event happens, and immediately at the end of the game, they already have a report written. It must be chat GPT. It's got to be, right? Like, there's got to be some sort of automated system that's making them do this. Or they're, like, writing through the time of the event, and they're, like, highlighting these things, and they're just, like, really good at being efficient and writing well, and then they, they put it out, and then it's all of a sudden a beautiful thing. I just don't understand how sports journalists do it. But it always surprises me. You can pull up 
news. I mean, uh, the baseball playoffs are going on right now. Neither the Yankees or the Red Sox did very well this year, right? We're all in a land of mourning, right? We are all not rejoicing at what was baseball this year. Uh, but we can see that there are multiple reports of multiple games that are happening all within a short period of time. Wise leaders, though, they know when not to say something. Because they know when their words carry authority that those times where we use our words in mismanagement cause real consequences. Uh, at uh, the marriage conference that we went to at Grace Harbor earlier this year, Deepak Rezu, he used this illustration of how we can build up capital in our relationships. If we think of all of the positive actions that we have as husbands and wives, every time we do a positive action, it's like crediting our bank account, right? We get to add a little bit more to our bank account. And when we, we do something or say we're going to do something, we don't follow up on it, what do we do? We withdraw from our account, right? So I think that this principle actually carries into leadership as well. When leaders are leading well, when they're doing things that are building up trust with their people, when they're communicating the truth in a wise and caring manner, you're building up capital. You're crediting your account. When you, there are going to be times where you're going to have to call people to, to take some risk and to trust you, and that might debit your account. It might withdraw funds from your account. But there are times where we don't think of the capital that's necessary to be spent when we are going through some particular action. We don't want to overdraw our funds. We don't want to overdraw our capital. We want to be wise with what we're saying. So we get to see this picture right off the front. A wise king and a foolish king. How can we live in light of what we know at the end, looking at the uncertain times of the world? We know how to live through the certain and uncertain things of life by trusting and serving the Lord. So uh, let's look at uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. <coughs> There are things that are certain in the world, and there are things that are uncertain in the world. We're going to see these two pictures displayed. Uh, first, we're going to look at what's certain. Number one is this. There are times where we will not be able to predict the future. We will not be able to predict the future. Look at verses 1 and 2. This is a, a weird picture. <laughs> Cast your bread upon the waters. Anybody been throwing bread out on the waters lately? No, I didn't think so, right? Cast your bread out on the waters for you will find it after many days, okay? Uh, so just a note here, when the text is using the idea of bread right here, this picture of bread, we're not talking about Wonder Bread, guys. We're not talking about what you go and get at Aldi. This is not like that fluffy stuff that you make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches on, okay? This is like flat bread, okay? I want you to literally think of almost like a pizza crust, okay? This is the kind of bread that they would be using in this context. They could literally throw it out like a pizza across the water and and let it sit there and be able to come back to it days later and still find that there's some sort of semblance of bread, right? If you throw Aldi bread into the water, it just disintegrates almost instantaneously. So this image, though it seems a little silly to us, is actually an image that these people would understand very easily. Like casting bread out onto the water, flying this disc out onto the water. After many days, they come back to it, and it says in verse 2, give a portion to seven or to eight, or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on the earth. So this is the idea of storing up resources because that there are going to be times of disaster. So three times in chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, the preacher uses the phrase, you do not know. 
And what he's trying to drive home for us right here is that we don't know how everything works. We don't know when disasters are going to strike. We can't predict the future. The second picture he gives us is found in verse 5. You don't know the way that the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you don't know the work of God who makes everything. Outside of not knowing what's going to come in the times, whether we are going to face disaster or we're going to have times of plenty, we can also see the second image that we don't know how God works everything together. Like babies in the womb, okay? So one of the cool things about life right now, I can remember this, right? When Rachel was pregnant, one of my favorite things to do was follow the app for her pregnancy, right? Because every week I get to see this like little picture that was this diagram of what the baby was going to look like and the size of fruit that it like corresponded with, right? So I remember watching like Maven, Isla, in, in the sense of progress, right? I couldn't actually look into her womb and see Maven, Isla as a small little blueberry, but I could see on this app that the baby was about this big and that that represented these kinds of things and that in the development of a baby's life in the womb, this is what was happening at that point. But here's the thing. While I could pull up an app and it could show me these pictures and give me some sort of thing to relate to, I didn't actually know how Maeve got her toes. Okay? I don't know exactly what that process was like. I know that it happened, but I didn't get to see it firsthand. Again, I couldn't open up Rachel's womb and look in and be like, oh, toes, there they are, right? She's got them now, and then everything's good again, right? Horrible picture. But that's the picture the text is using here, right? While we can see that babies are growing in mom's wombs, right, as they progress in their pregnancy, as the baby belly gets bigger and bigger, and then ultimately the baby comes out, we see that there's something that starts and then something that comes out, something that starts and something that grows. But we don't know exactly how all the intricacies of that process work. And in the same light, there are a number of things that only God can do. That's one of them. Forming children in mother's wombs, only God can do that. There are things that only God can do in our lives. Only God can explain all of the times of disaster and suffering. And there are times where I want to ask God, why did this happen and why did it happen this way? I don't understand. You know, sometimes people find discomfort in the reality that they don't know the things of God. But to us as believers, that can actually be a comfort to us. While we don't understand what's going on, we do know the one who knows all things that are going on. We don't have all the information, all the steps, all the answers, but we do have the one who knows all of the information and all of the steps and all of the answers. You know, there are, there are tough doctrines in the Bible, right? Um, like the doctrine of predestination, that God knows who he's going to save. How does he know that? I don't know. <laughs> That's the truth. I don't know how he knows that or how predestination works perfectly, but I do trust that God knows who he's going to save. And so while I can't explain all of the ways that that comes to, to, to be, I do know that God knows what he's doing, that he's sovereign, that he's in control, even when I'm not. And so is it complicated in my mind? At times. 
But yet it's so simple too. God knows what he's doing and I don't. God knows what he's doing in saving. And if it was left to me, I couldn't save myself. And in verse 6, it shows us another thing that's uncertain in life. That we don't know what will prosper or what will fail. Look at the passage. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. This is the picture of farming, okay? Sowing your seed, right? Uh, I just drove by, every day I drive by this field in Lebanon. There are lots of fields in Lebanon, I know that. There's one particularly that we drive by on the way to Maeve's school when they drop her off, and they just cut all the corn stalks down. And it's been amazing because every time we've driven past there, the, the corn stalks were like, man, they were like six or seven feet tall. They were huge, and it looked like this land was just consumed by uh, all of these like plants of corn. And you know what they did this week? They cut it all down. And it made me sad because I was like, oh, that was so pretty. And now there's just dirt, <laughs> right? And you're looking out, you're going, how does this work? Because there's a time to plant and there's a time to sow. And the sowing season is over. And so what they have to do is they have to get ready to plant again. But they can't control exactly how all of those plants grow and what will be fruitful and what will not be fruitful. They can't tell whether they're going to have a good crop or a bad crop for the year. That's out of their control. They can try to do things that can help things along. But ultimately, the harvest comes because God controls the harvest. We want to be so successful in life. I don't think any of us want to fail. I certainly don't want to fail. But we can't know with certainty whether things will be a success or a failure. That's out of our control. But in light of all of these things that are uncertain in our lives, we do know some things with certainty. The first thing we know is that wise living is generous living. Look again at this picture of, of bread in verses 1 and 2. As we cast your bread upon the waters, you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or to even to eight, and you will, because you don't know what disaster may happen on earth. <clears throat> so what's the principle here? The principle is that we don't know what's going to happen, so we should be generous with what we have. Notice what it says here. It doesn't say take up these portions and store them up for yourself and hold on to them and hoard them in a bank. It doesn't say that. It says give away seven or eight portions. Now, I just want you to think of this, okay? Say, today, you are going to have your favorite pastry ever, okay? Now, I really like going down to Sift Bakery in Mystic, and I really like their Nutella croissant, okay? They have a, cho or a Nutella filled croissant, and it's amazing. Uh, and there's chocolate ones too, but I've had a Nutella one. I love going down there, I love getting that. And here's the picture that it has, right? Now, if I wanted to savor this, I could just save that up and box it up and just like hide it off to myself, put my name on it, put it in the fridge and say, don't ever touch it or there will be severe consequences. I could do that, right? That's not very generous though, is it? No? So what I need to do is be loving and allow Rachel to have a bite or two, right? This is recorded, by the way, so you can like hold this back on me if I, the, the next time, you're welcome, right? But generous living, wise living, is generosity. It's not just holding onto the peace on your own. It's actually taking what you have and giving it away in multiplication. 
you know, if we were to ask financial analysis or financial advisors, what would be wise for the finances of our life? I can tell you this. They'd tell you to save as much money as you can and to save it for as long as you can because you never know when you're going to need it. But that's not the message of Ecclesiastes here. The message of Ecclesiastes is you don't know what's happening in your life. Use what you've been given in a way that helps others. And this is the kind of principle that Jesus teaches us in the Gospels. He gives us the parable of the talents. You remember that? There's one guy who got one talent, one that got five, and one that got ten. And what did the guys do? The one with the one, he did what? He dug it into the ground, and he buried it, and he was like, okay, there's that. And then there was the guy with the five, and what did he do? He took it, and he invested it, and he multiplied it into another five. And then the guy with the ten, he did the same thing. He took it, he invested it, and he multiplied it into another ten. And when the servant or the master comes back to his servants, he rejoiced in the guys who took what they had and multiplied it and used it to build up his kingdom, and he condemned the one who took what he had and stored it in the earth. Guys, here's the reality. We never have enough money, and it never stays with us. Yet, we're so tight on holding onto our wealth. Isn't that true? Man, there comes times where it's like, oh, there's people who have need. Right? Think of even benevolence here in the church. This year, okay, this year at Hebron Church of Hope, to this point, we have raised $17,000 in benevolence. That is the highest it's ever been in my five or six years being here. This is through the generosity. It's, it's not been easy to meet our, our fiscal budget. But you know what it has been easy to do? Serve one another. And sometimes it means that we can't have the copying paper that I would like to have and that I have to chop paper for hours in the office. Sometimes it means that. But I would rather chop paper and use our money so that it helps other people in our congregation meet their real physical needs than have nice, easy paper to print off of. And you can hold me to that. So the next time I complain about the paper, just remind me that there are better uses for our money. Guys, living wisely is living generously. It's giving what we have to others as they have a need. It's giving ultimately to the Lord and his purposes because ultimately God gives us what we have. He calls us to manage it, and that management is making sure we use what we've got for his purposes. Notice that? We use it. We don't just sit on it, we use it for his purposes. So a good budget year here at Hebron Church of Hope is not a year in which we have a surplus. It's not a year in which we have a deficit. It's a year in which we use our money for the purposes that we've set them aside for. That's a good fiscal year, guys. Not more money in the bank, more money going toward the gospel work and ministry that we've called ourselves to and that the Bible calls us to. That's good fiscal responsibility. That's wise living, being generous, giving to missionaries, giving to kids, giving to those that are in need in our community. But there's a second certain reality here too, that wise living also looks like recognizing the temporary nature of our success and failure. All of our success is just temporary. And all of our failure is just temporary too. Notice the pictures that the text uses. Verse 3, if the clouds are full of rain, 
they empty themselves on the, on the earth. If a tree falls to the south and to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. These are, these are so simple in their imagery, right? When it's cloudy, it's probably going to rain, right? When a tree falls, it stays where it fell. These are very certain terms that the preacher is using for us, but they represent more than rain and trees. What they actually represent to us, again, are reaping and sowing and the powers that rise and fall. So how does the farmland get its product? How do we reap a harvest? Because the rain falls. We reap and we sow. Ultimately, the Lord is the one. I want you guys to think of the parable of the sower, right? As Jesus explains that parable, he says that there's seed that's dropped on rocky ground, and it doesn't take, right? It doesn't root. There's seed that comes along on the path, and it falls, and it takes up root, but then it's withered away by the pleasures of the world. And then there's seed that's sowed in good soil that then bears fruit and multiplies, okay? Now, we don't know how all of those things work together, but we reap, or we sow, so then the Lord can reap. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Are we laboring in a wise way where we're recognizing our success or our failure is temporary, but ultimately it's the Lord that provides? And then rising and falling. This is actually, the trees represent here a picture for the Hebrews that would be a picture of political power. Okay? So I don't know what your political affiliation is. Particularly, honestly, don't care. <laughs> but I do know this. Rulers rise, rulers fall. Eras come, eras end. There's one king who's come, and he's coming back, and he's going to reign forever. And that's the Lord Jesus. So we need to see that in our lives, while everything is temporary, we need to stop seeking to gain for profit, and we need to start enjoying and savoring what we have because it's not with us forever. So how do we live in an uncertain world? We live by serving the Lord. When it all comes back to it, I want to bring back the pictures of wisdom from that older pastor. They're simple, yet complex, and also a call to go all in. How can you have a fruitful ministry? That was my question to him. And he said, spend time with people. Work at preaching good sermons. And pray when you don't know. And in the same way the preacher's given us good advice here, when it comes down to how can we live a godly life, a glorifying life, not by casting a vision that we can never live up to, but knowing that even in uncertain times, we can trust with a certain that the Lord is king. If we trust him, we serve him, everything will work out according to his purposes. It's risky business. It's bold. But ultimately, trusting God proves to be wise. And everything else falls through. Let's pray and ask the Lord to give us wisdom as we seek him and serving him and living for his glory. God, I thank you for this word. I thank you for how you have taught us through Ecclesiastes, through the preacher and what he has said to us. I pray that you would help us to be people who live wisely and boldly by taking the risk of being generous to others, uh, by maybe giving more than we receive. Um, God, by being those who 
recognize the temporary nature of life, that we're not guaranteed tomorrow, and that that does not give us the liberty to live without any consequences, but it gives us the liberty to live within reasonable consequences with joy and satisfaction in you. What we have will not last us here on earth, but what we have in you will last us for eternity. And so I pray, God, that you would help us to live in light of these principles, to trust you, to serve you, and to know that you will work all things according to your plan, your goodness, and your sovereign wisdom. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, guys, today we're going to be spending some time praying together. So I've got a few prayer prompts for us. Um, Could you come up here? Do you have a slide for this one? Awesome. So what we're going to do is we're going to split up into some smaller groups. 